0: So, I love this time of year because it means a changing of the seasons, and uh, I don't refer to seasons in the way that normal people do, uh, spring and summer and fall and winter. I talk about it in terms of the clothing that we get to wear. Um, So, we just exited the season of as little as legally permissible, um, (laughs) and we have just entered into the season that I call... Uh, hoodie and shorts season. Um, it's a Texas season uh, because early in the morning you're going to need something to keep you warmer. My choice is a is a hoodie. But by the end of the day you'll be sweating. It, see, everyone makes the mistake of like hoodie and pants. That's that's a classic rookie mistake. By the end of the day it's going to feel like you're back into summer zone. And so it's kind of like a mullet, but for your clothing you're like fall on top, summer on bottom. Um, and, and and I love this season for that purpose. It means that the pumpkin patch is here and fall football is underway and my fantasy team is off to a terrible start. And, you know, Halloween means that Andy and I get to watch old spooky shows that I grew up with. We're working our way through Are You Afraid of the Dark right now? Um, Yeah. And, uh, And it means that holidays and family gatherings are around the corner. For me, I know not for everybody, but for me, I really look forward to family gatherings at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and um, I was thinking about one recently where I was with my Uncle Doug, um, and my Uncle Doug uh, had just been gifted a new guitar as he was approaching retirement. Um, He'd always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, maybe that's on your bucket list as well, but it just never made time for it. And so he's got a buddy that actually makes custom guitars. Fancy that. And so, he made him this beautiful powder blue electric guitar with uh, the knobs were little red casino dice. And and he was talking about it, showing me pictures. And and I asked him how he was going, and he said his fingers really hurt. And uh, if you've ever learned to play the guitar, you understand what he's talking about. Because learning to play the guitar can be painful. This is not a guitar. This is a ukulele um, that uh, we have at our house that the kids enjoy playing, Um, and it's a lot quieter than them banging on the piano, so I enjoy listening to them play this. And um, if you don't know how stringed instruments like this work, um, there is this one place on the instrument where there's this sort of fixed position the strings are bound to, and they're pulled over and across the neck. And then there's this other position that is also um, where where they're stretched to, but there's these moving pegs on the other end on the, uh, at the end of the, of the fretboard and you've got these pegs that can twist and turn and that brings the note up or down into tune. So you've got one side that is set and fixed and one side that is freely moving and in between you press your fingers and if you do it just right you make a beautiful sound, you can even make music. But pressing into that tension is not always fun. Early on when you don't have calluses on your finger and you know, these strings are made of plastic, but um, the the electric guitars have these thin metal strings that will really cut into your fingers at first until they get tough enough to withstand the tension and the strength. I started thinking about this image because uh, this Sunday is um, a Sunday that we've given the theme of roots and wings. It's this um, indigenous and American idea that people ought to have both this sort of grounding presence that keeps them well-rooted, but also the freedom and the wings to move through life as the Spirit leads them. And it's not unlike the two ends of a guitar or a ukulele, one side that is firmly planted and rooted, the other side that can move and stretch in the ways that are needed, and so that in the middle, somehow, in the tension, even in the pain, there is music to be made. As Christians, I think our faith is all about tensions that we carry. And as I think about roots and wings and guitar strings, I I think about who we are as the people of God, and and I think about the stories that God tells in the Hebrew Bible around the places that God dwells. Because uh, there's, a, there's a connection there in the way that, that God asks us to move with God at times in this way that is freely moving and at times in this way that is firmly planted. And in between, there is this tension between tradition and progress and what has come and what will be. And the question for us this morning is, where is God in the tension between what has been and what will be? Where is God in that tension between what has been and what will be, what we know firmly and what is yet unknown and freely moving. And so, before we take a look at a couple scriptures this morning, um, I want us to know where they come out of. Maybe you have no real knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, and that's okay. Um, There are two important structures that we're about to read about. Um, One of them comes to the, the people of Israel after they are liberated out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. And the short version there is they had lived in slavery for generations in the Egyptian Empire. God liberates them in the story of Exodus and then they enter into this long 40 years journey through the wilderness and God gives them a structure instructs them to make something that will be something of a dwelling place for God and it's called the tabernacle And then, later on in the Bible, in 1 Kings, after they've made it through their journey, they find the promised land, and they're beginning to lay down their roots for the very first time. God instructs them to build a different kind of building, a temple, with a different set of instructions, and yet I want us to listen to both of these texts and to hear what we might see is similar between them. The first comes to us in Exodus 25 verses 1 through 9. It says, "The Lord said to Moses, Moses was the leader of the Israelites in their wilderness journey. Tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all whose hearts prompt them to give you. To, uh, to give you shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering that you shall receive from them: gold and silver and bronze." blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, fine leather, uh, acacia wood, I actually don't know how to pronounce that word, I should know how to do that, I have a seminary degree, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and for the breastpiece, and have them make me a sanctuary or a tabernacle so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So God gives them these instructions. And then later in 1 Kings, for the temple, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Different leader, different time, different place. Concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk in my statutes, obey my ordinances, and keep all of my commandments by walking in them, then I will establish my promise with you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Now I notice some things about these places. First, there's this this tabernacle space that is made from these very natural elements and, and from cloth and fabric and from these easily portable things. And it's, it's describing something of a, of a tent that can be picked up and moved with them. We'll talk more about that in a second. And then with the temple, I'm hearing this much more firm language and there's stone and there's rules and there's ordinances and laws and commandments. And yet I notice there's something that connects the two. And it's not the stuff they're made out of, but the purpose for which they're made. In both these texts, there's this phrase, Have them make this for me, God says, so that I may dwell among them. And then in 1 Kings, I will dwell among the children of Israel. It may seem simple and obvious, but I don't want us to blink and miss it, that in these two different Constructs these two different ways of being with God. The thing that God cares ultimately most about is not so much the fabric or the, the ram's horn or the goat's fur or the stone or even the ordinances and, and the commandments, but so much so that it's the, it's the reason these places exist for God to dwell. That God's primary motivation is to be with God's people in every season, in every place, in every moment. Whether God's Spirit is where it has always been or whether God's Spirit is on the move with us, God is always dwelling with God's children. Now, that sounds like tension to me, right? That sounds like a a God that may be full of contradictions. How can God be still and also moving at the same time? And honestly, if we're sitting here today, wherever we are, and you think to yourself, a God that is firmly fixed and stands still in all eternity, or a God that is wildly moving with God's people, one of those may sound more attractive to you in this moment. Maybe you're in a season of chaos and something firm and solid sounds good to you, or maybe you're in a season where you need God to meet you where you are, and maybe a wild and freely moving God sounds better to you, and yet the story of God is telling us that God is both. So, let's stop and consider what faith in God, what a faith in a God who would be only in the temple or only in the tabernacle might look like, and why we might need both. So first, let's talk about the God of the Tabernacle. This is God at God's most free. The, the word Tabernacle comes from the Latin Tabernaculum. I know that's a real stretch, right? We really changed that one up in the English. Tabernaculum, mm, Tabernacle. Great, and it means tent, right? It is a large ornate tent that is going with the nomadic people as they journey through the wilderness. In fact, modern-day synagogues are modeled after the instructions given to the Hebrew people as they built this tabernacle tabernacle. tabernacle. It's free to move with God's people. There's no specific spot that is God's home. It's wherever the people are staying, there so is God. It reminds me of Jesus's teaching uh, when Jesus is trying to paint a picture of who God is and how God loves people. And he tells his disciples that God is something like a shepherd who seeks out one lost sheep. If you don't remember this this parable, Jesus is saying there's a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. And rather than simply writing off the losses and applying that to his end of your tax return, the shepherd goes out of his way and across all sorts of land to go find this one lost sheep. That's what God's love is like, Jesus says. And I don't know about you, but that's a very comforting image of God for me. This idea that God is relentlessly pursuing each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I haven't always been like the most perfect Christian. I am now, thank goodness. But, but the idea that like no matter where I go, what I do, who I am, who I'm with, like God is willing to relentlessly pursue me in each and every season. God's never going to write me off and say, you know what, 99 is good enough, right? God's love is so relentless and so personal and so individualized that God sees each and every one of us and sees us as deeply beloved, not just us, but sees you. Like that's a beautiful image of who God is. And maybe this sounds like an image of God that you would like to fully embrace. And and maybe you find yourself more in in sort of this, like, yeah, free and wild God. That's all I really need. And then then I think about toddlers. Um, Maybe because I've got a couple in the home at the moment. Uh, I've got a a four-year-old named Jude who is really working on his L sounds right now. And he's very proud of over-enunciating his L sounds at any given moment. Yesterday, he said, Dad, can we have Chick-fil-A? And uh, and I said yes. Now sometimes he'll come to me or Reagan and ask for something, and he doesn't get the answer that he wants. Which of course the answer that he wants is yes, um, and he'll not get that answer. And so then what does he do? Because he's a toddler. He just skedaddles his little tookus over to the other parent and says, hey, just so you know, I did already ask dad. And he said, no, no, that's not what he says. He goes up and says, can I have some chips? And then one of us is like, sure. And then the other one walks in, and why is he eating chips? I don't know. I told him, he already asked me, what? You know, that's what toddlers do. They don't get the answer they want. They go to another parent hoping for the answer that they can get. I think sometimes if we treat God as only a God, that relentlessly pursues us, and only a God that is wildly and freely moving, and only a God that always meets us exactly where we are, no matter where we may be, there, there is a, without the tension of a God that is fixed firmly somewhere as well, we can end up with a God that isn't just pursuing us, but in some ways just simply is us. And we can end up with a God that only serves as our cheerleader and doesn't go out to find the one lost sheep to then bring the sheep back into the fold or to bring righteousness and faithfulness and justice back into that sheep's life, but rather to simply say like, yeah, keep at it. You're doing great. And sometimes I don't need God to tell me I'm doing great. Sometimes I need God to say, Scott, you're really hurting people or you're really hurting yourself. Maybe I don't need God to be my cheerleader. Maybe I don't need God to just reinforce my preconceived beliefs. You know, we live in a day and age of confirmation bias where we tend to, whether we are aware of it or not, surround ourselves with people and and, and systems that will just affirm every single thought that comes into our heads. And there's something about a faithful life that challenges that, as hard as that may be. It doesn't mean that God's never on my side. It doesn't mean that God's never cheering me on. Of course God is. But if God is only ever on my side and only ever cheering me on and always seems to somehow agree with me, isn't that something? Maybe I need a God that is bigger than just that. And so if we only desire a God who is wildly free, are we not simply following our own wills? I think this is a, a question at the heart of the Christian faith that we have to wrestle with our whole life's long, friends. But then we see the image of God in the temple. This is in the first Kings text. So after they've journeyed and the tabernacle is, is no longer what they need in that moment. Instead, they're trying to establish themselves as a people and as a nation in a place that was, you know, challenged from every angle and every border and the, the This temple is is an idea of God being at at God's most firm and fixed and and, and foundationally true, the the kind of God that is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And I want us to not miss that the stones and the place are important um, because you always know where to return to find God and find faith again. I'm reminded this weekend of uh, when my wife and I went to Israel 10 years ago. And uh, like all of you, we are in a posture of prayer for the people of Palestine and Israel uh, today as they enter in what will be continued uh, bloodshed and violence. And um, that's another sermon for another day. Um, but what I will share this morning is that um, when we went to what's called the Temple Mount, um, And the Temple Mount is the foundation upon which the temple stood, the temple um, that was standing in in Jesus's day. Um, The the, the Temple Mount is essentially this large wall of stones, and there's these little cracks where the stones meet one another because they've been around for a very long time. And there are people, Jews and Christians, who make a pilgrimage to go to this wall and to touch it and to pray at it and to write prayers onto little scribbled pieces of Paper and, and place them in. And I was struck by the, 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 the faith of those who needed a place, needed a, a space, a stone, even, that they could return to and trust that maybe God could meet them there. It reminds me of another image that, God, that Jesus shares about how God's love works. It's a different parable, this time the parable of the prodigal son. And not unlike the lost sheep, it is about someone who wanders from God or or attempts to journey away from God's presence. And yet, rather this time than God going out to track them down, this person ends up returning. The prodigal son, if you don't know, is about a young man who asks for his early inheritance. And basically wishes his father dead. And he takes it and he spends all his money. He ends up working for a pig farmer because he's destitute. And he's even eating the slop of the pigs. He's hit the rock bottom, lowest of the low. And it's in that moment that he realizes and thinks to himself, there's one place I could go. I could go home. And in that moment, I'm struck by the fact that it's not so much that God had to go out and find this young man, but rather that this young man knew exactly where to go if he wanted to go and find God Once again, wanted to go find his father. Once again, I think sometimes in faith, it's one thing for God to pursue us; it's another thing to know what are those sacred spaces, who are those sacred people, what are those those um, spaces? Maybe like this sanctuary, perhaps, or, or maybe it's a space in your own home, or maybe it's a place from your past that it's hallowed ground. And yeah, there's something sacred about the actual place that it's in. And and maybe there's something about God that isn't changing. And even when you go back 50 years later, it's just as special as it was. I think about those friendships that you may have that even if you don't talk for 15 years, the second you're together again, it's like nothing has changed. Um, There's something about God's Spirit that is eternal. And isn't as wildly and windy moving through life, but is rather permanent and solid in a way that I don't know about you that I need in my life at times. Especially in a world that feels increasingly chaotic to have someone that we could call our rock and our redeemer. That means something to me. Now, I think about if we desire a God who is only permanent, only fixed, only tradition, only the things that have come, only the memories, only the past... If we get too fixated on a God like that, we can end up like the older brother in the prodigal son's story, the one who is so stuck on the ordinances and the commandments that God offers in First Kings, the, the one who is so hellbent on rules and regulations and the way things are meant to be done. Why? Because that's the way we do them. That's the way it's been done forever that he ends up vindictive and hateful and alone. It makes me realize that if I pursue a God who is only fixed, who is only tradition, who is only the things that I have known to be solid in the past, over time, I'm going to find myself at a table set for one, and I'm going to shut myself off to the ways in which the Spirit, the great Spirit, is leading all of us into something new all of the time because we're meant to pursue a living God. And so if ordinances and commandments and the way things have always been done, if those become our defining aspects of faith, does anyone truly ever measure up? I, I think the answer we might see is no. And so, as we consider what it means to, to pursue a God and to be in relationship with a God who is both the God of the tabernacle and the God of the temple, these things that feel in tension and maybe even contradictory, a God who is always pursuing and a God who is always where we last left them, a God who is rooted and a God who's got wings, like what, what does that lead us to be as the people of God? And I think that leads us to be a people who lean into that very tension, the kind of tension that, when played correctly, when, when rooted around a common purpose and with proper understanding, can make music beautiful music I don 't play the ukulele very well, so I will not attempt that at this moment as Christians, I wonder if we can uplift an identity that brought proclaims boldly those essential fixed truths, the the beauty of our tradition, the, the ways in which we know God has moved in the past and continues to move today and yet also could we listen intently for the Spirit's free movements amongst us leading us into tomorrow and what comes next. Maybe some days we need to be a people of a temple and some days we need to be a people of a tabernacle. Some days we need that firm foundation and some days we need God to send us on the move and into the wilderness. Maybe we truly need both, and thank God we have a God who is both. And so as AUMC, my prayer is that we could lean into this tension and holding fast to those core essentials that have defined us for decades. This church was not planted overnight, but also letting go and releasing to the Spirit the need to dictate our future or to try to reclaim a past that no longer exists as a people caught within the tension between what is fixed and what is free between the roots and the, and the wings, I wonder if God is leading us faithfully to live into both and to make music together as we journey to where God will lead us next. I give thanks for a God of the tabernacle and the temple. I give thanks for a God who is large enough for both. I give thanks for a God who will pursue me relentlessly. And I give thanks for a God that is right where I need to find them. For all these things, let God's people say, amen.